Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way podcast. It's another treat of this recording as another in-person interview uh, or discussion, also with a dear friend of mine. Um, and one of the things that I have been fascinated by for a number of years is the Enneagram. Uh, I've talked about it at length. I'm not an expert other than maybe like an armchair expert. And so I wanted to have a visit with someone that is a certified Enneagram practitioner and I thought the perfect person for that is my dear, dear friend, Courtney Fighter. Courtney is the founder of These Wild Humans and is a, as I said, certified uh, Enneagram practitioner, a certified executive coach, um, has um, a very diverse background of multiple modalities around the idea of finding out who you are and leading from a place of authenticity, uh, living your life from a place of authenticity. And... um, Courtney and I met um, very serendipitously in Idaho about 10 years ago um, and spent a lot of time driving around Idaho doing uh, social media presentations for the Department of Labor. <laughs> and uh, I learned about uh, Nico and the Bear. Is that the name of the band? Oh, Nako Bear. Nako Bear, yeah, Nako Bear. And so, welcome, Courtney. Thank you. It's good to be here. So, yeah, I've learned a lot from you. You've been a great teacher of mine over the years. and. We have that special, like, brother and sister from another Mr. and Mother, or however you want to say it. <laughs> another generation, yeah, another, another lifetime. Yeah, another lifetime, yeah. So, and we're both Enneagram 8s, yes. and, which is kind of rare. I think you know my know of my friend Kelly Campbell um, with Consciousness Leaders. She's also an 8, but there's not a lot of us in this space of consciousness and, and you know, conscious business. There's not a lot of 8s. Lots of, lots of 2s and 3s, mm-hmm. it seems. So... Anyway, today, we, you and I could talk about a million topics. Right. Um, you're one of the people that I could have on, and we could just talk about, like, modalities of healing. Or we we'll could do, talk that about, another time. do that another time. do that another time, or trauma, or whatever. Today, though, is the Enneagram, and so Enneagram is one of those things now where, you know, it's, it's much more mainstream, um, and when things go mainstream they kind of get commoditized. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's that's why it was important to have someone that's a certified Enneagram practitioner on. So it's not just a bunch of stuff you read. You've actually right. been certified and so you practice it in these wild humans and the executive coaching and the things that you do. So give the listeners just a rundown of what the Enneagram is and the, the names of the various types because that will set context for the questions we'll both answer. Sure. So the Enneagram is pretty cool. Um, It goes all the way back to ancient Greece and Rome, and it's based on a system of sacred geometry that covers nine numbers or nine energies, and those we call in the Enneagram the core types. There are also these different subtleties about the Enneagram because everyone is essentially a snowflake. So we have each a core type, but we also have an instinctual variant and we also have centers of expression. Mm -hmm. So the Enneagram is set up in a series of nine, but it's also set up in three triads. Mm -hmm. So um, the concept of the Enneagram says that from our core type, which is the way we're born, we can move through the entire Enneagram energetically by Mm -hmm. the lines. And that's kind of like the long-term journey of Mm -hmm. the Enneagram, which many people don't take. Mm -hmm. It's quite intense, Um, but 
that is the opportunity of the Enneagram. So that's a really rough cut, but we'll get into more details. And one interesting thing about you and I, though we're both eights, we have different centers of expression and we yeah. have different subtypes, right? right? So that's where our uniqueness comes in, where we can sort of understand each other from the same core lens, but also have a different approach to mm-hmm. the way we do things. So um, let's go through all the numbers. So type one Enneagrams are called the strict perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Ones innately believe that the world is an imperfect place, but they have a solution. So they <laughs> yeah. have some kind of sense about them from the time they're born that there is a right way to mm-hmm. do things. There is a uh, system and order, and these people will often um, get really upside down when things are just kind of like chaotic or fly by the seat of your pants. Um, I use the example of thinking of like my mother-in-law. She does not like me to load her dishwasher or mm, do any laundry okay. at her house. She will literally redo it because mm. it's it it, and she will do it with a lot of like. Um, self-deprecation just telling us that she wants to do right. this because she's got a system okay right? so i believe she's probably a one i haven't she hasn't done the test so i don't i can't say for sure um then we have enneagram type two which is the considerate helper or supporter enneagram twos are often that um energy or person that kind of wants to throw their arms around the world and take care of everybody and support everybody and be there for everybody. But the shadow side of two is the need to be needed. Mm -hmm. So twos can get upside down when they start um, moving into the energy of needing to be acknowledged for Mm -hmm. their support. Mm -hmm. That's where they start showing their shadow side. Mm -hmm. But twos are generally the kind of people that everyone can turn to for nurturing and support and even if they're quite busy they'll make room to take care of people Mm -hmm. and help then you've got the enneagram three which is the competitive achiever and the competitive achiever and and all these by the way in different forms of the enneagram because there are many have slightly different names too Mm -hmm. so these may not be the names that other people have heard sometimes um but they're consistent right so the competitive achiever threes have a core need to be recognized and validated by the outside world. They need um, that input that says you're doing a good job. They mm. need that at a girl, at a boy. Mm. They need that um, trophy or reward or symbol that says yes. So often threes will be highly certified in mm-hmm. what they're good at. Often threes will be very um, achievement oriented and they make their mark on the world and show their greatness by achievement or by getting ahead. Mm -hmm. So you see a lot of threes be actually celebrities or like professional athletes Mm -hmm. or high profile leaders Mm -hmm. or people that actually very high high, uh, profile salespeople Mm -hmm. or um, people that just really need to sort of like have that presence of having that marker of being something very unique and specific Mm -hmm. Um, and they need that feedback. So where threes can get upside down, they can get actually kind of aggressive in their energy if these things aren't happening for them. And their work is to understand that and to kind of like soften themselves and or admit that to other people so other people can help. Right. I want to pause there too because it's just for some interesting context is for a period of time, like basically like 2015 through 20, early 2020, all the primary, primary people in my life, like the top like like circle were mostly twos Mm. and then now my partner Virginia is a three everything you described as a three and she hadn't she had heard the Enneagram but has really embraced it since the understanding it and we use that language now it's like oh I'm bringing that she's she's very creative too so she she brings like three energy to creativity not four energy which we'll get into in a minute right and I also think it's interesting too that the, the, the fact that there are shadows and if you were to do the sort of overlay of your Enneagram type 
and your level of consciousness is that if you're in your lower self, you're, you're not a lower self eight, mm. you're something else. It's, you're, a, you're a basically a, a lower self five, I think is the, right. the cross section. So um, when, 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 you, when, when people are doing this and I, you know, you, they can purchase an assessment from you, right? Yes. Okay, so I'll link to that in the show notes. Is this, it's a lot of the Enneagram is to not just understand your core type, but it's to understand who you are under stress because who you are under stress is also an ind- indicative of your behaviors in, right. that, in that process. So Right. Well, and in typical fashion, we're diverging on a subtlety here. Yeah. And I, let me address that really quickly before we go back to the numbers. Um, the interesting thing that you just said is there is a clear, especially in the assessment I use, and there are many versions, there is a clear indication of integration. Mm-hmm. And that shows how essentially self-aware someone is. Right. So an interesting statistic that I actually just recently came upon um, says that 90% of people think they're self-aware mm-hmm. and only 10% are. Huh. So literally 80% of people in the world are fooling themselves on some level and not in a manipulative way. They just um, really don't have the linear skill of self-awareness. Right. So in this, um, there are a few layers to that kind of shadow thing you were talking about. You can be a lower version of your core type. That does show up because there are big differences between a, a healthy eight, for instance, mm-hmm. or an unhealthy eight. Um, and some theories will say that when you're unhealthy, you go to your line of... Um, basically, the, the line that's harder for you to get to right. and the... When you're healthy, you go to the line that's easier for you right. to get to. So using eight as an, as an example, five is the line that's harder to get to. Right. And two is the line that's easier to get to. So you being an eight attracting twos would make sense because you're mm-hmm. attracting that health energy. Also, though, in the mm-hmm. way I practice this, I look at the lines a little differently where I think we can get to both, one in release and one in work, essentially, mm-hmm. in stretch. So for eights, I would say two is release, two's easy, two's mm-hmm. accessible. And um, the upside of two as an eight is being very supportive and protective and helpful and considerate. And that's the gentle side of a healthy eight. But you can go to the unhealthy side of two as an eight too, which is the need to be needed. And then on the five side, if you go to health, you go to genius level study. You go to understanding everything with depth. You go to um, specificity. Mm -hmm. And that can be really healthy for an eight because eight gets out of that sovereignty and out of that do it my way and gets to this level of exploration Hmm. and clarity. But the unhealthy side of five for an eight is basically being a disappearing act. Right. Like not showing up for people, fading into the woodwork and people are like, where where did this person go? That's not who they are. (laughs) Right. And I I see that a lot with leaders I work with. And when they start disappearing like that, they're under a lot of stress. That's right. And so I have to give them a lot of space. And this is where this is super helpful and just, consciously supporting people right. without necessarily walking them through all the why. Yeah. So so let's go back to four. What yes. Is- four is called the intense creative. So fours on twos and fours on the surface, if you just read through all the names, sound like the best. You know, mm-hmm. consider it supporter yeah. and intense creative. Yeah, helpers and creators. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, but the not martyrs and damage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not too. Um, yeah. That's eights, right? Yeah. Unhealthy eights. Um, so 
but intense creative um, is again has the upside and the shadow side so the upside of intense creatives are they are very self-aware for the most part they really understand who they are they understand their unique mark in the world but their fear is to be ordinary Mm -hmm. so if they end up blending in Mm -hmm. they get really really distressed and to other people that can feel really cloying because it feels like a lot of self and ego and self-talk and they do tend to communicate from a perspective of I think I feel I mean I am Uh, but they also bring all this beauty to the world they're very aesthetic they um, these are artists for the most part. Right. That's Katie, my, yeah. my younger son. He's yeah. a four all the way through. That yeah. would make a lot of sense yes. seeing his work. Yes. Yeah. Um, then we have the Enneagram 5, which is um, that's more of the the energy of like that genius study. And that's the energy of um, understanding the detail of everything and being a you know a, a master of all the detail of their category. So I coached a CEO who was a five, and he was having the hardest time delegating to his his senior team because he had formed this company with his family, and he had this responsibility for understanding everything about this water company. But he also really struggled to divorce himself from having all of the responsibility right. for all of it. And so the beauty of fives is they understand all that detail. The other beauty of fives is they know exactly how they feel, but they don't feel the need to tell everybody. Mm. Um, so you kind of have to walk up to them gently because they won't necessarily tell you who they are mm-hmm. emotionally, but they know they're right. very aware. And then the shadow side of five is a total disappearing act. Mm. They will re- um, really reject things when they don't feel it's right. If they feel it's off the linear path or it's not to the level of quality, they'll be in fierce rejection and they'll be kind of cold about it. Mm-hmm. And they'll really just disappear and step back. Yeah, the so five is also in some models called the investigator. Is that correct? That's, you know? I think, the six. Oh, the six. Okay. Maybe the five's the loyalist. I can't remember the... So Because there's other names. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. We can... Let's look at... You know what? We'll just look at what this is. Do this live. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll do a live little research since my my brain didn't remember the name of the five. You, you, if, if we're only recording. The quiet audio, specialist. The quiet specialist. Quiet specialist. So fives, um, investigator and uh, loyal skeptic are six. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I sometimes th- I have all this information in my head, and then sometimes when it's not right in front of me, I'll just drop yeah, right out the title. Right. So you we'll the, bring out the reference guides. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah this, this is a pretty extraordinary book. Yeah, the, the, these guys, the Enneagram Institute, refers to the investigator as the type five. And oh, okay. The, and the six is the loyalist. That's where, Yeah. Be, before I knew you, yeah. <laughs> or you before you got you were doing the Enneagram stuff, right. this, was, this was where I kind of got my main info. And they are but, good. They're really yeah. good. Um, the Enneagram Institute was where I started, too. And then... Then I moved into the integrative nine, which is more business focused. Okay. And, and like, that's what I was saying that, you know, the Enneagram kind of bifurcated from, it went from ancient Greece and Rome through this period of time in like the, you know, the, the people that were theorizing things like Carl Jung and mm-hmm. Gurdjieff and things like that. And then it got to Berkeley, California and was made into a personality assessment in the seventies. Right. But from there, many versions have right. come out. So right. it's not like MBTI or disc where there's one way. Yes. It's, um, there are many versions. Yes, so you're right. right. It's it's a little tricky. Following the numbers, numbers are always the same. Right. So that's the best way to do it because the names can get right. a little... Yeah. So, so the six then? Six is the loyal skeptic. Okay. So sixes are um, great team leaders. They're very reliable. They're very, very loyal. They have a lot of... To offer a team, and they're always trying to kind of be present and available to that for a team specifically. They will minimize their own perspective or energy for 
that collaboration. Um, not on a harmonization level, that's different. That's more like nine. But the shadow side of six is they are always looking for the backup plan. Mm. So they are always worried about if this happens, then that. And so in a, for a team, they're super useful because they have this ability to make sure that the backup plan is well curated mm-hmm. and that they can pull it right out of their hat. Right. But for them, it's in- really intensely stressful because they're always worst case scenarioing. Right. So, um, yeah, so sixes, I have a couple sixes I'm coaching right now and they're very interesting. So they will sometimes really minimize their own perspective or opinion for the sake of others and they will definitely put their own um, self-care on the back burner mm-hmm. for others. So that's the six. Um, seven is the enthusiastic visionary mm-hmm. or it probably all these probably have another name yeah. but sevens are innovative creative love travel novelty oriented these are again like exciting personalities to be around because they're very dynamic these people were going crazy during all the lockdown stuff because they couldn't move about and like right. be free and their biggest fear is to be restrained yeah. or restricted but Seven's shadow side is they really dislike conflict. So shadows, sevens will disappear into that worry about conflict and just kind of disconnect um, if things feel too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so they kind of have the ability to almost like have two rose-colored lens perspectives sometimes, right. and that can get super toxic, right. especially in a business situation. Yeah. 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 Your sevens are... Uh, often known for their sort of what we would call toxic positivity yeah and exactly. also their shiny object so you put a seven in a ceo position with with, with no oversight yeah and th- they have like a bunch of shiny toys or new hires yeah and nothing works properly yep and then they get bored i had a seven <laughs> ceo and a seven team senior team and um yeah that was their core issue is they kept whenever they'd run into a problem, instead of dealing with and unpacking the problem and dealing with the pain of the problem, they just reinvent the wheel. Yes. So there was just a constant source. Yeah, because of, it's the dopamine hit. Yeah, and it's, yeah. and it's also the rejection of, of failure, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I wish that, and we'll get to the eight in a second because that's us, but I, I wonder, it would be interesting, like from a, from a correlative study standpoint of the overlapping or the mapping of neurodivergence or type and mm. Enneagram type. Anecdotally, most of the people I know that have ADHD are eights and sevens. Hmm. Um, I, the, most of the people I know that have autism or, or on the autism spectrums are fours and fives. Fours, uh, interesting. Yeah, and but that's my own anecdotal like analysis and my own like analytical brain looking at that. Um, and I think the other thing here too is that is a great influence. We're going to get into this as the, one of the first questions that we're both going to answer about basically what is your Enneagram, we know what your Enneagram type is with, with pressure or stress. Mm-hmm. What is your Enneagram type when you have power, when you have authority, yeah. you know, and leadership. so leadership. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, onto the eight, onto us. Let's talk about that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and backtracking for 10 seconds. Um, the neurodivergence question is also pretty action packed and interesting and complicated because I have had a couple of clients recently that do have different variables of that. And what's hard to unpack, I'm noticing through my work with them, is which part of it's neurodivergence and which part of it's uh, like integration. Right. Because they're two very distinct things. So, yeah, I, I think my generic answer to that is I think that people of all types, all numbers, can have sure. these possibilities. but. It you know shows up in certain energies yes, too, which right. is interesting. So, okay, so eights, 
Eight is the active controller, sometimes also called the maverick. I like the word maverick. Mm-hmm. Um, but active controller, when you first see it, usually if you're getting your Enneagram type um, accurately assessed, your first gut reaction to reading the outcome of the analysis is going to be some form of like repulsion. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. You know, like uh, it's some celebrating, some like, yeah, yeah, that's me. And then also like, ooh, because yeah. it's the parts you don't like about yourself, right? And almost, it's so funny, like, a two or one of these numbers that we think has a, a shiny title will read theirs and have that repulsion. And you're yeah. like, how, what are you repelled by? Like, there's yeah. nothing there to be repelled by. Eights um, are very interesting. Mm-hmm. Eights are very complex. Eights are very intense. Eights have very big energy. Eights are very magnetic, very leadership oriented. Eights are natural leaders and naturally autonomous and sovereign. Mm-hmm. So, but the interesting thing is eights want that for everybody else. Right. Eights want sovereignty for others That's too. Right, yeah. They don't want to impede other sovereignty, but others can feel impeded because they get lost in that bigness. Right. Um, the interesting thing about eights is it's not that common a type, um, although it's, it's prominently talked about in leadership because they're the stereotypical CEO, yeah. you know, I think we're debunking that, but um, that used to be what we would call a CEO type, Mm -hmm. would be like that eight energy. Interestingly, even more narrow is that eight woman. There's not that many female female eights. I know two. Female eights are very narrow. I have, I've actually somehow magically, I know three. Yeah. yeah, I've magically attracted many recently, but I think it's because we need each other. Yeah. Um, And it's interesting too that just from a contrast standpoint, there is a, what we would, I would say energetically, I don't know if this is, this is my observation of, of women that are eights tend to have a more masculine type of energy to them. So, you know, you are, you're very feminine in your appearance and stuff, but you have this shamanistic, almost masculine energy. Um, mm-hmm. And then Kelly's got masculine energy. And then Anna, uh, Virginia's mom, was an eight. Oh. And I wouldn't say necessarily masculine, but very much like a leader of a movement. Yeah. And she's part of the, she's been a, she's been an activist and part of the, the opposition against the Nicaraguan government for many, many years. Right. And, and that eight, but it's interesting how that eight shows up because she lives with us once in a while. She lived with us just for like a month and mm. she comes back and, it's interesting to, I've never lived with an eight into the dance of like, how, you know, of the active controller, yeah. Yeah. you know, like there's this funny, funny <laughs> moment. And I, I don't think Anna would mind that I share this is that, um, I like to do the dishes mm-hmm. after dinner and I like to do the dishes cause it's kind of a Zen thing, but she insists on doing her dishes oh. that she had and putting them in like washing them and putting them in the rack instead of putting them in the dishwasher. And I'm like, well, you don't have to do that. I'll, I'll wash them. And she said, no, I want to. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's like the uh, the ultimate eight statement. I want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit of a face-off. Uh, well, and also for female eights, especially when, when we are younger, in business particularly, the masculine, the men, and, you know, let's say that are quite a bit older than us, will sometimes be quite threatened mm-hmm. by what we're trying to bring in with that sovereignty. And so a lot of eight women I know are self-employed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes sense, you know, right. because we are, and also we don't want a ceiling, you know, eights really want expansive capacity. Eights want to do their own thing. Right. right. So the, uh, those are most of the beautiful sides of eight. The shadow of eight is most definitely, um, needing that control and needing to manage things and needing to have an outcome and needing to put hands on things and, when an eight can be healthy and really step back from that um, and be able to just kind of let things unfold, mm-hmm. that's a sign of health for an mm-hmm. eight. Um, and to really 
lean into that two energy, letting other people shine and letting yeah. other people show up as bigger than you because right. we are naturally big. Yeah. So we don't have to try to be big. We, yeah. And yeah. we also have to be careful not to shrink ourselves. Right. And I've noticed when I'm depleted and I start to go into the more the five, which I'll use the term that I learned as the, as the investigator, is yeah. the primary, um, and this relates to anxious attachment style, it relates to a rejection sensitivity dysphoria, kind of those like ego-based wounds that you know are part of old trauma, is it's my, I have a craving for information. Mm-hmm. I, need, I need to know, and it relates to, I need to know from a relationship standpoint primarily, like what is going on, what are the facts? Mm. And there, then I get into sort of evidentiary mode of proving. And so I, 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 it, I call it a strategic paranoia. Mm-hmm. And I think there's probably some evolutionary reason for it. But it's a, not a good behavior inside of a relationship because it makes, you, it, 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 it makes you kind of masked and walled off from your mm-hmm. person. When you, you know, and so what I have done over the last six months in particular is I just focus when I feel that way. I try to, I recognize it and I move back to replenishment because as a replenished eight, I get shit done. I lead yeah. I got great ideas and I'm much more of the two, which I'm more like helpful and, a, and more compassionate and mm-hmm. anyway. So the one suggestion I'd offer there too, though, and I understand what you're talking about. Like if my husband were on the, uh, in the conversation, he would definitely say we've had eras of our relationship where, um, I have really work to prove him wrong in an argument and he's a two so you know i can smash him in that situation um and he's a self-preservation too so that's a whole nother layer right but um the interesting thing about what you said is you know when you're in that unhealthy five energy as an eight it is proof based and it is also being right yes and then right but in a healthy side of five one healthy behavior of going into five when you feel yourself retreating and going into that five energy if eights can be in a state of feeling like they can use that as retreat and just be super quiet and alone and by themselves, yes, that's the best use yes. of five for an eight. That's exactly what I'm. What I do is when I get that five energy, I use it on me, and I get really curious. Like, that's healthy. Oh, why am I feeling this way? Where is this coming from? As opposed to directing it at uh, Virginia right. or a family member or a client, right? You know. So all right, nines. Yes. Um, nines. So nines are the adaptive peacemaker. Again, sounds so beautiful. Um, nines are harmonious and they see the world in a really interesting way. Like they're very good at seeing the beauty in other people's work, even more so than twos. Like twos have more of a, I need to help you. Nines have more of a, I see you. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you meet a really gentle person who's Mm -hmm. easy to be around, there's a good chance you're interacting with someone with some kind of nine energy. If it's not their core type, it's in their mix. Um, But nines on the shadow side have a really, really big tendency to self forget. So they, they, they become asleep to themselves. They merge with their partners. Mm -hmm. They, um, they lose themselves in completely. a cause or Com- yeah, this completely. is the, kind of the martyr aspect. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so nines can be, and also be that self forgetting, they'll get really quiet about it. So they'll just keep helping and others will like, I have a very good friend who's struggling with her job right now and she's a nine and she's adopted a lot of um, HR related um, responsibilities in her job over the last couple of years. And she's in dire need of leaving this job now because she's literally physically deteriorating 
<clears throat> because she has lost herself so much in her work and she has no energy. So when nines get that lost, they'll literally just want to go to sleep mm. to themselves, right. like metaphorically and also literally. Yeah. Like they want to nest, they want to bathe, they want to, you know, right. do, and they also will go into indulgence, like eating and yeah, things like binge that. Binge watching. I've noticed that yeah. with some people that are nines right. that I know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so again, nines are kind of some of those people you need to check on because it's not going to be on the surface if they're right. suffering. Right. Um, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting too. And this is just me nerding out from like a armchair theory, <clears throat> the, you know, theory here is that, you know, there's the wing and there's, as I can tell, there's kind of two schools of thoughts is some, some Enneagram models, your, your primary and then your secondary does, it could be something else entirely different on the wheel mm-hmm. and other schools of discipline that your wing is always on either side of your primary. Yeah. So like in that case, I'm an eight wing seven. Mm-hmm. And then this is the correlation of with a disc. So the disc, I'm a D high D high I. Mm-hmm. And so the eight and the D kind of go hand in hand mm-hmm. and the I, which is about, um, you know, um, what's the I stand for in disc? Is it instinct? It, not instinct. What is that? I can't like? remember anymore. I can't either. either. It's, but it's related to kind of that Sorry, enthusiasm. Dude. Sorry, Disc. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We don't need you anymore. Uh, We've moved on to Enneagram. <laughs> We've moved on. Um, anyway, uh, influence. That's what the oh, that's I right, is. That's right. Yeah, so that's around in, influence or enthusiasm. Yeah. I also wonder, though, is that we do know, like, within Disc, there's there's the, the natural and the adaptive. And yeah. we're dichotomous creatures. We're soul. Mm-hmm. And we're soul and we're... We're trichotomous. We're basically we're soul, neocortex, and animal. Yeah. And what I wonder too sometimes is, if, to me, I am at a seven. My seven is the most prominent. I feel safe. Mm-hmm. When I feel safe to play, express. I don't have any pressure. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of eight tendencies. When uh, the eight is more like what, I, and the model I've been using is. Um, true self and adaptive self mm-hmm. is that the eight it seems much more adaptive for me it's like it's and, and what i mean by that is it's situational hmm. it's like something needs to get done a decision needs to be made um, a strategy needs to be developed so i bring the eight a lot to clients yeah. don't really bring the seven but i'm a lot more fun to be around in the seven because yeah. there's no sense of control i, right. I can be untie unbound time mm-hmm. playful funny goofy and so it's this interesting um so I'm curious about your assessment of the role that the wing plays in kind of daily living. Yeah. And like we said, I started with Enneagram Institute um, and the ready assessment as well. And it's, it's useful. Um, the one I've moved into um, to like linearly algorithmically has a higher accuracy point. So I like their system and also their system gives us an opportunity to kind of unpack it in our own way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just kind of walk through a bunch of the subtleties, including the wings. Okay. Um, in the one I use in integrative nine, it shows your core type, but it shows you where you are in all nine energies, which I believe versions of the Enneagram Institute do as well. Right. Um, so it'll show you, you know, cause you can be high in several things, right? right. Um, or some people are lower and just like disc and everything else, the higher you are, the more intense that energy right. is. Um, and also in the version I use, there are two other bifurcations in addition to wings. So I guess there are three bifurcations. There's the, um, subtype. Mm-hmm. So, um, Usually in Enneagram, they either lean toward a wing um, perspective or a subtype perspective, mm-hmm. but it's not always both. Um, and subtypes, there are three, they're essentially instincts. So the three instincts are 
the, or I guess instinctual variant is the exact word, self-preservation, which is like, am I okay? Am I well? Am I mm-hmm. safe? Am I, you know, it's that innate need to be safe. Um, the next one is um, one-to-one or they call it sexual, but I call mm-hmm. it one-to-one, um, which is intimacy. And so mm-hmm. it's like one-to-one connections with anybody. It could be yeah. a colleague. It could be a best friend. It could right. be your partner. It could be your child. Yeah. So, but just your one-on-one relationship with. Mm-hmm. And the third instinct is social. And that doesn't mean like I'm always at the party. That means being concerned with the greater good, with the community, with the mm-hmm. whole. Yeah. Um, so like I think I remember that, I, that you are a one-to-one eight. I'm a, yeah, a sexual variant yes. or what I call sacral variant. Yeah, SX. Yeah. Um, so, and I am a social eight. So I'm this, the counter type. So in every th- version of three, we in, in the numbers, we have one counter type. Mm-hmm. So the counter type has all the energy of the core type, but to others feels different from. Mm. So I'm a social eight, which makes me a true eight, but also... To others, I'm going to feel more like a protector. Right. I'm going to feel more like a, a guide or a guardian and less like a, a dominant personality. Yeah. I, I have the ability to make more space for people, but the way I operate is all eight. Yeah. So for a long time, people thought I was a two because yeah. I am high in two and I right. was leaning toward that a lot. Right. And I, that's really the way that I grew up was like acting like a two. Right. Um, that was the, my role in my family. Um, so owning my eightness has been a big graduation. So that's one thing. The other two things I'll mention, though, about subtyping, or not subtyping, but like the variants, um, we also have centers of expression. So we said that there are three triads, right? Mm-hmm. So eight, nine, and one belong to the body triad, mm-hmm. or um, the uh, two, three, four belong to the heart triad, and the five, six, seven belong to the mind triad. Mm-hmm. So um, we can also, in those numbers, see where people sit in all three of those triads, right. and that gives them what's called like a tri-type. So in my case, I'm an eight, two, seven. Okay. So in, in body, I'm eight, in heart, I'm two, and in thinking, I'm seven. Yeah. So to I'm me, that, that yeah. creates mm-hmm. good subtlety and clarity. Right. Um, and then further than that, the assessment that I use goes into your Hornavian types, which is your conflict style and your persuasion style. Wow. So when you look at that, plus the centers of expression, which is the three types, body, mind, heart, mm-hmm. and you look at your numbers across all nine energies, and you look at your wings... Then you have, and your lines, which mm-hmm. is the five and two thing we talked about before with eights, you have so much to unpack. You mm-hmm. can see where, what's really cool is I can sit with a client and get through this in an hour by showing them that whole roadmap, mm-hmm. but there's months and years worth of information to talk about, right? Right. And so the work that you're doing with um, these wild humans and, and your coach, executive coaching and, and leadership coaching, leadership development is your looking at you're using the Enneagram not as like a life assessment or personality assessment of the kind of person I am you're really looking at it and correct me if I'm wrong of what kind of leader you are how your Enneagram type is influencing how you lead and so is that accurate um yes and okay so uh yes but it's more than that I'm their leadership type is a component but it's I'm more looking at one debunking the fact that a leader is a certain thing you know like getting out people out of the habit of believing that only certain numbers or certain energies can be leaders that's actually not true so there's that the other side of it is i'm really working hard so i usually work with individual leaders and then teams 
Um, so often, like I'm doing right now, I'll have a whole senior leadership team that I'm responsible for. And then I work with them as a team as well. So my personal gift is seeing individuals in all their individual glory and then seeing them in a team and how they can shine their best. So what I use the Enneagram for is to unpack all the DNA of that for them. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, here's your number, here's your center of expression, here's your subtype, this is what that means. Now when you're working with so-and-so who is these other things, we can see, you know, how those two things cross over in positive, but where you're going to butt heads. Mm -hmm. So where are you traveling on parallel roads, but different roads Mm -hmm. with somebody else? So often we'll take like the two, um, I have an assessment that has a long form and then there's like a one page visual. I'll take the one page visuals and have a a two on one discussion with two leaders sometimes Mm. and show them the differences. And often when they just workshop where they're looking at things differently, suddenly empathy comes in. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, I'm glad I asked that question because it, it goes into um, the, the question of how, how does your Enneagram type of impact how you lead? As you think about this, it's like there's an irony here is we don't know who we are until we're around other people. Yeah. But we can lose who we are if we're around people too much. Right. And so I, I, that's why the, this Enneagram and this application to leadership is fascinating to me. So because I love what you said that all Enneagram types can be leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe statistically, there are some that are, are more prominent, but everyone, it's... You, you, That's a societal it's thing, a soci- It's, it's a, really it's not a, a personality. Soci- that's right. It's a yeah. systemic kind of mm-hmm. structural thing. It's not mm-hmm. a personality thing. Right. So, you know, without going back around the entire wheel, are there some general, like, if someone's listening to this and I encourage that whoever's listening and you haven't taken the a real Enneagram is to click on the link in the show notes and, and get an assessment from Courtney, is... How, how, what are some good questions to ask yourself if you know what your Enneagram type is, but good questions, self-inquiry about how you lead? Um, a lot of it, uh, there's so many different ways I could go with this, but a lot of it has to do with your health and mm-hmm. your self-reflection. So one thing we do know statistically is that leaders are missing the time to reflect. They don't make that time, and it's a big missing link in modern mm, business. Okay. Um, I feel like we've gotten a little better about it in the last few years, but overall it's an issue. Okay. Um, and usually it's, I'm too busy, I have no time for, um, to use that self-reflection. So people will end up in a spiral of either um, believing other people's perspective about them or thinking that they're the star of everybody else's show. Mm. So those are kind of the two core shadows of a leader, right? They either lose themselves in what everybody else says and thinks, or they end up, and so I could, you know, we probably don't have time today, but we could could linearly unpack which types go to which, which of those things, and then what that means for them. So when we know more about the leader in the detail, if I was looking at someone's assessment, I could tell you in a micro level, this person's going to have these struggles and these, and they mm-hmm. often feel like I'm like the, a fortune teller right. going through this with them because like, you might feel like blah, blah, blah. And they're, Oh my God. Yes. Um, but without looking at a very specific example, it's a very big question because mm-hmm. there's so many subtleties to that. It depends on what kind of company they're in. It depends on who their peers are, who their team is, who their support system is, what their partnership is like. Right. You know, all these variables matter to leadership. Right. And I think we have this this myth that we've created societally that says leadership is an achievement of a certain role in a certain style of company at right. a certain point in time right. or age. Right. And it's not. Leadership's an energy. Leadership is not persuasive, right? right. When leadership is healthy, 
it just people are that right. you experience them that way. Right. What's the phrase you use leader people about brand and leadership. You have this great phrase that you've come up with. I remember where you said something like other people's experience of your leadership is your brand or yeah, something like that. Is, might be yeah. Your brand, it. your personal brand is how other people experience the way you lead. Exactly. So right. that is really the essence of this, in my opinion, mm. it, that's other people's experience of you, but not you reflecting their right. notes about you as and adopting that as your practice. Right. And I think, too, that um, I look at myself, and uh, so a question I ask myself constantly is, what's my motivation here? Yeah. Because as an eight, I have a lot of what I call buffering strategies. Mm-hmm. So I can be, like, over the years, I could be an oversharer because... Yeah. If you don't react, and you know this, and then yeah. on the first car ride we had together, I'm telling you all my secrets, you know. And, and, and our friendship stuff. I know everything. And you know everything. And now we blackmail each other. No, um, yeah. But this idea of oversharing is an example of getting creating a buffer. Mm-hmm. And um, because if you, do, if you, I can then assist your reaction out. I can make a reaction. Then I can respond to that as an eight. Well, but what's interesting about what you just said specifically Eight's biggest fear is vulnerability. Right. So if you're offering, let's it's, say it's, an old it, version of Justin is offering like, I'll tell you my secrets. Yeah. And, and then you're like testing to see how the person yes. responds. The other thing you're doing there is you're, you're almost, you're manufacturing vulnerability. That's right. right. It's, you're, it's like a, what I call managed vulnerability. Yeah. Cause you're which telling isn't a story. Real. It's yeah. As I'm, I'm presenting a narrative. But you're not saying I'm yes. in pain. I'm suffering. Yeah, I'm not Please help I me. am statements. No. Yes. Right. You're telling, and you're yes. showing how vulnerable quote right. unquote, you yes. are as more by image. offering this yes. story. <laughs> and it's like, I'm, yeah. I'm I don't, so and involved. I, and I really try to not do that anymore. I've become much more aware of that. The other one though, related to like, as a leadership type, and leadership applies to your, you know, your primary partnership and business and yeah. family, is where where I have the impulse to control. Mm-hmm. And what I what, what I can do, what I've done, and it's again an adaptive or a buffering tool, is I have the, had the ability for years to convince you to do something because you <laughs> th- you will think it's best for you. Yeah. And I'm like the, I'm like the U.S. government <laughs> meddling in foreign affairs. <laughs> I got some colonizer energy <laughs> related to that. Like, that might be DNA. <laughs> it could be DNA as a, as a very white male. Uh, but but as a, from a leadership standpoint, that's why I have to check my motivation. Yeah. Because if I'm trying to influence how you see me, yeah, that's not good. That's not really good. And if we're trying to persuade, we're both entrepreneurs. So if yes. we're trying to persuade, if I'm people, trying to persuade people, come do this work with me. Yes, right. Or this, you know, at this, if, in, in, or your partner persuading them to do something that makes it sound like they're doing it for themselves. <laughs> yeah. And and it's that micro-honesty. I think that's the key thing. Especially if you're a leader, you've got authority. Yeah. And if with authority, it's you you don't want most people don't want to be surrounded by sycophants and bootlickers. Right. But even then, there most people aren't going to challenge somebody that's further up the hierarchical structure. Right. So you got to do that shit yourself. You got to be like, especially as eights, because even if we don't have all the right. information, we will come off with that authority. Right, and and it, we are masters at sort of like filling in the blanks with a level of confidence that people don't realize we and, don't know what the fuck we're doing. And we're, we're doing. also really, really good at riffing. <laughs> yes. So we can like yes. off the top of our heads run yes. run with something. The fake it till you make it is like yes. the master of the eight. And I have a whole model of my own nerding out about this of the of the enneagram types by music. Mm. I love country music, but mm-hmm. country music is not really an eight thing. It's more of a, 
it's more of a five, a six. That might um, be the conic. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Eight though is jazz. It's, it is more like jazz. It's yeah. more like... It's a riff. It's a riff. Mm-hmm. And anyway. Yeah. So the next question is introducing another factor that is something that you and I have talked about many times over the years is, so you have your personality type and your social conditioning, your sort of genetic disposition, and then you have trauma. Mm. And so if you have childhood trauma or adult trauma, um, or CPTSD. Yeah, C- yes, yeah, P- PTSD, yeah, CPTSD, complex PTSD, yeah, exactly. which is from like more childhood trauma or are compounded, like, are compounded, mm-hmm. or then like a PTSD event from like combat or yeah. or um, or a physical you know assault or something like that. How does trauma play in that dance between enneagram type leadership and trauma? Where's how does that influence? those things the mm-hmm. trauma is like an additive to that equation yeah so somebody this is my theory somebody could be an eight and you know with, with social conditioning but no tra- not a trauma survivor they're not they haven't experienced trauma or i take caden caden's a four i think logan is a six he's a loyalist using the Negram institute type neither of them have experienced traditional trauma they, they right. grew up loved and safe and mm-hmm. you know and really doubted their worth and all mm-hmm. the shit that I had to deal with mm-hmm. they didn't have and I'm super grateful that I was able to do that and Lynn and I were able to do that for them but so Caden or Logan but take Caden he's a four hasn't experienced childhood trauma yeah he had his he and he was on my on an episode a while back talking about the horrible traumatic event that him and his partner experienced when she lost her her mom and dad and little sister in a plane crash last year. Certainly a massively traumatizing event. Um, but I'm watching how he is leading in the relationship. Now he's self-employed. He's an artist. He doesn't lead a group of people, but he is leading as a lead in, within that relationship. And, but it's an additional, it's an additive that if somebody hasn't experienced trauma, they may be an eight and a leader or seven or whatever the number. Mm-hmm. And they lead very differently than somebody that's experienced trauma. Yeah. I mean, let me start by saying I have bias here because I have a lot of trauma and I definitely have CPTSD that's in various forms of, um, you know, latency or, or um, potency mm-hmm. at different times. Um, so for me, I have an opinion that has to do with my, my own journey or story. Um, and my opinion there is with each trauma I experienced, and I have three or four, if, depending on how you look at it, I feel like I had a deepening of Mm self-awareness. I feel like I had a deepening of clarity. So for me, I can show up much more. There's a gratitude for me that Mm -hmm. came from some of these things. And one of my experiences was as an adult, as a 40-year-old. So I think that definitely clarified for me a lot of appreciation for my life, my work, what Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be doing with my life, my partnership, my family, Mm -hmm. my friends, everything. And so... But in the moment of, so I I think it depends on whether or not you're talking traumatic past Mm -hmm. and sort of like worked through trauma or trauma that's been processed versus versus like the Mm -hmm. urgent acute trauma. That's a really good point. Because acute trauma, like after that event when I was 40, I went all the way into retreat at five. Mm -hmm. I literally disappeared. I I became extraordinarily private. I really only spoke to a few people um, Mm -hmm. after the event. And but a lot of it was because the event was very public. It was a violent situation, and I had to go to court about it for mm-hmm. two years. So, you know, I um, so it urgently, and also I was in survival mode with my business and all that other stuff sure. at that time. So, like, I wasn't in my authenticity. To long story short, I was retreated to five, 
personally Mm -hmm. and I was showing up pretend eight for my clients and just figuring it out and getting things done and being very action oriented. Really what it did for me at that time in my situation was I did that acting in eight, like just get things done. Mm -hmm. You know, it was all about momentum and all about not losing momentum. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think if you're talking more like your son's situation, I it's I'd be super curious to understand more. I haven't heard his episode yet to hear more about how life before that event that happened to him versus right. life after felt. And then when it's really the event more connected to his partner and then he was obviously a part of it mm-hmm. and had a relationship with it, but it had more potency for her. Oh, absolutely. Right. How is he then, you know, holding her up, right? Yeah. While while she goes through these first few years, right? Yeah. So it's it's really such a complex question. Like I hate yeah. to keep saying that. No, but, but yeah, but that's why we throw it I throw it out there because it's almost one of those things where we're not going to answer the question, but it's a good question to ask mm-hmm. because it really goes back to self-inquiry is where if you, and I love what you said, I didn't even think about this is, and I'll use my terminology of unintegrated or integrated trauma. Yeah. I don't really think you heal from trauma. I think we're evolutionary yeah. creatures. Yeah. We absorb. Yeah. Heal pain. is not the right yeah, word. Heal is yeah. not the right word. You can agree that you yeah, can. Right. Yeah. Right. And so if you have unintegrated trauma, that's showing up in all parts of your life, and you could be an entirely a hologram. Your whole existence could be right. Not and a real, lot of people and are. A lot of people lot are, of people right, are. especially Americans. And a lot of people will just say, "This amount of time on the clock has passed. Therefore, yes. I'm fine." That's fine. Yeah, and I I processed it mentally, so I'm fine. Not understanding that it's still in their nervous system, it's still in their psyche. Yeah. And and then what I have seen with that is unintegrated trauma amplifies the more dominant features of your Enneagram type. You go more all in. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, and and with the with the trauma that um, with the trauma that, you know, if you have unintegrated trauma, and I'll go with what like I mentioned Kelly several times in this episode, is that um, you may seek leadership positions to prevent to keep yourself from integrating your trauma. Because mm-hmm. the more authority you have, the less more the, it feels like to your ego. The you don't have to work on your shit because you have authority, which is a type of safety. Mm-hmm. If you have integrated trauma, what I've noticed is on all the enneagram types is you're more compassionate, mm-hmm. you're more empathetic. It doesn't matter. You pick any one of the enneagram types and put that in a person in a leadership position, and if they've done the work, they are much more compassionate about other people's. Situations and yeah, I would say that's true. Uh, like I can think of an example of a leader I work with who I think has a fair amount of unintegrated trauma, and he is much more quick to react. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also will say that I think there is a layer here that's similar and different with this trauma um, label or category. You know that what we've said here is to- totally true, and also really more than anything, the integration is the important thing. Mm-hmm. So let's say take two people with no traumatic past right. who have both um, integrated themselves. Like they mm-hmm. have a self-awareness, they've right. done work on themselves. They have, they naturally will arrive with more empathy. They naturally will arrive with more softness and it's in any Arab language with more health. Right. So, yeah. All right. Last question is more personal for both of us is, what are you still learning about your Enneagram type? I mean, you certified and all this and deep dive. You got this super cool book. You got yeah. two cool books sitting on the table. <laughs> and I have so many more and books. And you have so many more, <laughs> right. And, and, you know, I'm, like I said, like autodidactic with the Enneagram. I've read many books and, you know, I've had many conversations. So what is something you're still learning about you and your Enneagram type? I, the first step for me was 
acknowledging and getting into the nitty gritty of who I actually am because for a long time I was, you know, not intentionally pretending, but I, I was, um, assuming I was something that I wasn't, or I had some form of rejection for being an eight because Mm -hmm. that sort of like intensity or whatever hit on a lot of trauma that I had from my past in various places. And I knew that, um, it made me feel like too much for other people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one thing I'm always working on is that like just enough feeling, not too much, too little, because Mm -hmm. there's a very razor's edge for eights to make sure to be an acknowledgement of other people's experience of you, but also not minimize yourself. That's right. Um, and as a woman, I often felt the need to shrink myself from Mm. other people's comfort, you know, and like fade back a bit kind of, you know, Oh, don't worry. I'll just go into two mode and do these things for you. Um, so there's that. I think the thing that I'm more recently noticing that I'm learning is twofold on the same point. One is, it is healthy for my relationships, particularly my personal ones, mm-hmm. when I can really step into two energy and when I can really step into more of the subtleties, like the social mm-hmm. aspect of my Enneagram type, and I can protect and take care of other people and I can listen to their story and I don't need to reciprocate. Like not reciprocating is a sign of health in me right. particularly. Um, if I'm not telling a co-story, I relate to that because right. that's healthy and other people need that more from me. So mm. I'm always trying to work and walk more into that. The other thing I'm recognizing is as an eight, I'm very accustomed to leading and it's very natural and instinctually I will do it if no one else is doing it. Like I will totally always pick up the ball mm. and in the simplest situations, like a family email that's going around and people are, um, you know, responding to it. If I don't contribute, that's actually healthy for me to right. stand back and let other people get the work done. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm, I can think of some situations recently where it's very, very small things, but it's very healthy for me to not lead. Yeah. And it's very healthy right. for me to, and actually when I'm honest about it, I crave it. Right. I really want to rest sometimes. I right. really want to sit back and let other people take, right. take things ahead. And other people want that. Like I know that I can really, um, limit my partner for instance when i am always in leadership when i can give him room to shine there it's it's much healthier for us that's interesting too with the eight is that often we're known as protectors Mm -hmm. and what shifted for me is rather than i use that protection for protecting space not and less about protecting myself armoring up Mm -hmm. as they call it um, or controlling someone else for their air quotes, per protection, again, mm-hmm. kind of that colonizer impulse, mm-hmm. um, to take care of someone, that taking care of someone as an eight is the way that you keep them safe, but you look at the underlying motivation, the reason you're keeping them safe is so you feel safe. And, and your I, vulnerability and is your vulnerability exposed. And your vulnerability is exposed, yeah. right? And so I, I love what you're saying there about stepping back and resting. For me, what I'm learning is, and I wrote an essay about this um, called, um, and I'll link to it, is me at my best, and best was an acronym, and it stood for uh, bold, energetic, sensorial, and trusting. And so what I'm learning is that there's like a, when you take all of the eight wings, seven, and the variants, and then you add the trauma, and then the and neurodivergence, and all of the social conditioning, this sort of like this, this very complex ecosystem of me, that there is a best version of it in this BEST model. That, and so I, I kind of look at leading indicators and work backwards from there. That's what I've learned about it. Is, mm-hmm. If I'm bold, I'm in a hell. I'm bold. It doesn't mean that I'm in a healthy eight. Sometimes I can be bold and aggressive, and I'm not like a healthy eight because that's just my, you know, I've, I've sort of, which is weird as a person with anxious attachment tendencies. I can be very aggressive. Mm-hmm. It's like 
anx- aggressive anxious attachment. You know? <laughs> You're all the A's. <laughs> I'm all the A's. And then energetic is that I'm light emitting, that I'm safe to be around. That's another thing. It's like, um, because as an A, I'm, you know this as you said this, super intense. Mm-hmm. But if I can be intense like a noonday, the noonday sun on a beach, <laughs> on, you know, at the beach, that's way better than the intense of like the house is burning down. Yeah. You know, and so that's that. And then sensorial is I'm just in my body. That's, yeah. that's a big one because eights are in the body triad yeah. and eights really need to move. Eight, that's right. It, it doesn't have to be like heavy, crazy exercise, yeah. but when stress comes in, eights have to move. Exactly. And then trusting is a two-way thing. It's trusting in intuition, my feminine energy. Yeah. It's trusting in my own worthiness. It's learning to be, it's listening more than talking. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm learning is that, that there's some beautiful and it's, it's a sense of like self-esteem, I guess you could say is that when I combined the eight and the seven with higher self-consciousness, I feel good about me and my life. Yeah. And what I notice with this is that I can see the things that I would need to change and I can then marshal the resources and use all of the eights and wings seven and I can do the research and I can lead the effort and everything. And because I'm seeing life through a higher perspective, and I can slip back down sometimes into, I don't know if you've noticed this too, but I've noticed that the eights that I know can be quite negative. Mm-hmm. Um, I can slip back into kind of almost like a nihilism, like, like a, a sense of doom. Um, and, that, and then that then goes into like the shadow and everything for another time. So anyway. I think, yeah. I think the thing I would add to that is just the last learning, and it's recent. I'd say maybe even like two weeks recent. And it's not like I, this is new information as much as it's a new sense in my body that mm-hmm. is an eight sign, right, right. of health. Um, that I don't need to plan for what comes next so much. I don't need to um, organize and strategize and categorize. And I just need to sort of like create and exist. There's a beautiful quote um, from a, a, a piece that I really love that says, whether or not it's clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Right. And it's like we did it's not my job to yes. manage the world and the universe. Right. But it and feels I, like it sometimes. It can because yeah. I feel like I have to lead if others aren't. Yeah, but right. really, when I can let go, yes. when I can step back, when I can rest, when I can let other people take care of me, right. when I can ask for help, um, all of a sudden, all the goodness pours in. And yes. I know that sounds very woo-woo in no, some way, really, but yeah. I think it, there's something to be said for it. Because overmanaged energy, no matter what you believe, right. is not successful. And trying to control the cosmic or the karmic doesn't work. It's, an it's literally not possible. It's literally not possible. And, and then what we're doing is we're contributing to this delusion of control, which aids. We love that feeling of being in charge. Yeah. But if you... If, but, I love, and that's a great place to, I think, end this is, this is probably true for all Enneagram types, but man, we are, you and I as eights are at our best when we can let go. Yeah. Let go, let be, let happen. Mm-hmm. Not in a passive way. There's nothing about us that's passive. Right. But what that does is it does allow us to rest and use that eight energy for, instead of on everything and everyone, mm-hmm. use it on where it's most appropriate, primarily related to our mission and purpose. Yes. Um, so, and you know, the, if just quickly tethering that back to the relationship element and I, by relationship, I mean, everything, friendship, right. kids, uh, all it, par- yeah. uh, partners, all, um, I think the thing, this literally dropped in for me a few days ago, I had this thought, like, 
I don't need to build the road of my relationships. I just need to walk them. Mm. You know, I just need to walk on the road. I just yeah. need to one step in front of the other. That's right. Just walk myself home. But I really need to come home to myself yes. as an eight and really need to live in peace with my vulnerability and my home space before I can be any good to anybody else. Beautiful. Let's end there. Boom. Mic Boom. drop. Mic drop. <laughs> iPhone drop. <laughs> yeah. Don't drop it. Thank you. <laughs>